frequently the parent or the teacher will be ascribing ADHD hypotheses or he's just not motivated. And I'm like, this kid has severe reading problems, severe, you know, shutdown learner style, significant dyslexia. That would undercut any of our motivation. And I think that we have to really understand the zone that they're in, in terms of what they can and can't handle. Welcome to the Beautifully Complex podcast, where I share insights and strategies on parenting neurodivergent kids straight from the trenches. I'm your host, Penny Williams. I'm a parenting coach, author, and mindset mama, honored to guide you on the journey of raising your atypical kid. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Beautifully Complex podcast. I am so super excited to have Dr. Richard Selznick here with me, who I have been following for years for my own instruction and learning and my own kid. And so I'm really excited to have him here on the podcast to talk to us about power struggles and shutdown learners and all of the good, wonderful wisdom that he has to share Will you start, Dr. Selznick, just by introducing yourself, let all of us know who you are and what you do. Sure, Penny. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. I'm excited to be here. So uh, we appreciate you've been following me all these years, and Mm -hmm. I I don't know if I knew that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a psychologist. I've been the head of the Cooper Learning Center for a number of years. I've specialized in kind of this somewhat niche psychologist, I think of myself, like you know, I've had this specialty in dyslexia and reading and learning disabilities, but, you know, you can't help it, which is tied into, I think, what you've followed over the years where there's a kind of package where it's not just reading, it's reading and then behavior, ADD comes into play, and then the power struggles come in. That's kind of what I do. Parents come to me when they're worried about their kid. That's bottom line. You know, and there's a lot of it. Yeah. You know, they want advice and they want guidance. And it can be very, very challenging for parents, as I'm sure you can appreciate. Mm -hmm. And my mission, and hopefully comes through in the books and the blogs, and as I'm talking to you, is to really talk to parents, mostly it's the moms, but talk to parents in down-to-earth, plain language. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of confusion out there about special ed and IEPs and 504s and dyslexia. There's just tremendous confusion. And then, of course, people will go on social media and they'll try to get more advice. So I try to cut through that. That's really my mission, to cut through things and to talk to you as a parent as straightforwardly as I know how to talk to you Mm -hmm. and to be as honest as I know how to be. Because I just don't find that the parents are getting that as much as I think they should. Yeah, and that was why I think your work resonated with me, because it was kind of boiled down to the nitty-gritty, right? Yeah. We're just giving the information that we really needed, and sometimes it was the truth that nobody else was necessarily willing to give, right? Which is something I've also focused on in my work, is let's be honest about this. Because if if I go to a therapist and I get information about my kid who's struggling mm-hmm. and then I go home and none of it works or, you know, it seems too hard to implement or and then I feel bad about myself, I think it's me. And so we have to be honest about what's going on. And it's, as you could appreciate, and I 
as many years as I've been doing this, and I tend to think of it as not like what I call, quote, real medicine mm. or, you know, going to the dentist. I'm not knocking dentistry, but this kind of a, you know, certain problems are handled a certain way every time. I right. assume. Mm -hmm. So for me, in my work, it's literally child by child, mm -hmm. family by family. So, you know, how you come in with whatever your circumstances are, it's the easiest thing in the world would be to just give a reading test and say, okay, fine, it's problems, go get tutoring. Well, you know, that's not the way to do an assessment, but I have to kind of feel around the edges, I think, and get a sense of you. You know, if I recommend tutoring, what if you can't afford it? Mm -hmm. What if you don't have the time for it? What if your husband or you don't you have one, you don't have, I don't know. You know, there's so many variables that come up. Yeah. And then trying to explain that to parents because they want, of course, well, what do we do? You know, they want the answer. And I'm like, oh, I, get, I don't know how to give the answer half the time, but I, I do the best I can. Yeah. And there isn't one answer. That's the first thing no. we have to learn as parents. There isn't one answer. No, there isn't. And one of, the, one of my standard lines is, you know, a lot of this work sort of depends on whose doorstep you land on. You know, so if you go to the neurologist, you're going to get the problems through the lens of a neurologist, right. you know, and more often than not, what I have found, they're seeing it through the ADHD lens. And then if you go to some other type of professional, they're seeing it, the audiologist seeing it through that lens. Right. And you know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's, you can get 10 different opinions from 10 different professionals. Yeah. And that could also be bewildering to parents. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a complex thing to have really learning is. challenges or ADHD or autism. Yeah. It's so complex. And there are no easy answers. And this was true for myself. I, I started wanting to fix it, right? I cared about my kid. He was struggling. I wanted to fix it. How old, how old was your child when you started? He was six, just turned six. six yeah. And yeah. clearly something was going on. And we had a great teacher come in in first grade. You know, the kindergarten wasn't ideal. We switched schools. We had the most wonderful teacher. He had his whole career in first grade. And still there are a lot of problems. And that's when we were like, okay, what's happening here, you know, and, and yeah. we were able to get evaluations and get diagnoses and, you know, start. But then I was like, okay, how do I fix this? How do I make <laughs> him work for school instead of school work for him? Right. Because you don't know better when you start out and then you have to figure that out. And what you just said, in fact, I think that I, I forget what I've written at this point, <laughs> but I believe either in my book, School Struggles or in Shutdown Learner, the question of how do we fix it? And without sounding negative, basically, we don't. And my answer is, well, they're not car engines. They're not broken. Mm -hmm. So there's no fixing. I understand what's behind the question, you know. Yeah. But that question comes up a whole lot in my work. Yes. How do we fix it? Yes. And I'm like, oh, how do we fix it? Me okay. too. Yeah. And I, I talk so much about the fact that that's the wrong question to be asking. You have to shift your mindset yeah. to yeah to the questions that are helpful, because that one's not, that one just keeps you stuck. Let's talk about power struggles some. Your new book is Beyond Power Struggles, right? Yep. I think that this is born probably from societal pressure, traditional parenting, right? And the first thing we probably have to do is just be able to shift away from that. But I'll let you talk a little bit about, you know, what do you mean by power struggles? Where do we get tripped up? Good question. I'm reflecting on some power struggles that came in recently. <laughs> you know, I think you're right that a lot of this could be generational. 
Mm. And every generation, every 10 years has another view of parenting and how it should be done and how kids should be handled. And, you know, I'm obviously not of a modern generation, let's say. So I think some of this is generational. I, I think a lot of this came about because I have found, and I don't exactly know why, that kids are becoming more and more challenging when the parents come in to consult with me. Hmm. Frequently, you know, the word meltdown comes up. You know, they're having tantrums, they're having meltdowns. I know you're you're involved a fair amount with the autism, and it's not as much my world. But you know, when a child is having a meltdown, when they're asked to do homework or they're asked to get off of their screens, mm-hmm. or they're just basically fundamentally uncooperative, and parents feel like they're at a loss. And that's kind of the genesis of this type of thing. I have an approach, a mindset for parents to try to guide them in terms of how to handle these issues. And again, there are all kinds of theories. I know the current one is gentle parenting. I don't exactly know what that is, (laughs) but I have a sense that it's not my approach, not that I'm advocating for harsh parenting, but, you know, coaching parents and trying to get them to understand how to talk to the child in a certain way so the child understands like oh i i better kind of get in the game here and do what my parent is asking me to do that's kind of how this book came about parents are very beleaguered they feel very worn down Mm -hmm. and again trying to give them some support and specific advice on how to handle these things yeah so do you want to talk a little bit about sort of those guiding principles that parents can employ to help with that? One of my favorites is, I think we saw it in a blog recently, to always have a mantra on hand. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the mantra being to effectively not go down a rabbit hole with a parent. So the mantra would be something like, remind yourself, I'm almost like praying a mantra like, <laughs> like, don't take the bait. Remind yourself, don't take the bait. Mm. Don't take the bait. Because, you know, from a kid's point of view, what does a kid want? From my perspective, what they want is pleasure. You know, they want to play on their screens. They want to do what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they don't want to do something they don't want to do. I call it IWIWD or something. I want what I want disorder. You know, (laughs) that's the disorder. I want what I want disorder. So the mantra would be something like, don't take the bait. And you're reminding yourself to just not get into a power struggle with a child. Mm -hmm you know, to not bite on their hook. Another piece of advice would be to look at how you're talking to the child. You know, they, we can't help it. We get our buttons pushed, we take the bait, we start yelling. Yeah. And I try to get parents to be a little bit more mindful of anticipating the situation. Like if we're going to a birthday party and the last time you were at the birthday party, you start to grab and push and do whatever. So you know your child's tendencies. So I call it In the book, PPSA, Proactive Preventive Strategic Approach, basically it's, you know, proactive. What do I know before going into the birthday party? Mm -hmm. What's the likely tendency? You know, what are the odds of something happening? So if you know the odds, then you need to talk to the child before it's happening. Yeah. You know, so like, let's talk about the last time you went to the birthday party. It didn't go very well. Do you remember why? Well, yeah, I kind of got grabbed. and I That's right. Well, it's not going to go like that today. Here are the rules. I like using phrases like here are the rules. This is how it's going to work or here's the deal. 
And the child knows up front how it's going to go. Mm-hmm. And here's the key. I think this is the essential key. It's the child's choice. Mm. They could choose well or they could choose poorly. You've laid out, you know, the guidelines. But you would say, listen, if you choose well, then everybody's happy. You get to play in the birthday party and all's fine. If you choose poorly, well, then we need to go sit outside for a while, something like that. You see what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Then mm-hmm. you're losing the privilege of being in that party. Yeah. But it's your choice. I think that we don't allow the child to make the choice. And people have reported back to me that that has really impacted their lives when they recognize that it's the child's choice. It seems mm-hmm. on some level obvious, like, oh, this is all common sense. A lot of it is common sense, but it's not as easy to implement as it might seem. So often, especially for neurodivergent kids, because they have the sense of so little control Mm -hmm. over what happens to them, that giving choice makes them less anxious. It makes things feel like they're more in their control Mm -hmm. and things tend to go better. And, you know, it just really helps. I don't know how else to say it. Like, it's really powerful stuff. And I don't know how you feel about it because I do struggle with neurodivergent kids where I, okay, if I'm laying out this mindset for the parent and let's say the child has been shown to, well, I'm just using ADHD as an example, Mm -hmm. significant ADHD, and I get stuck with, all right, is it within the child's realm of control to what extent? Yeah. And that always becomes like a sticking point for me because Mm -hmm. it's, you know, I do set up this model and mostly it works. Right. But there are going to be situations where because of the neurodivergent issues, mm-hmm. something else is needed. Yeah. I mean, there are certainly times where it's not a choice. The behavior is not a choice. Right. They get triggered. They get dysregulated. They have sensory processing issues. They're overwhelmed. Right. You know, there's a lot of triggers there that could make it not a choice. But being proactive and you're talking about it beforehand and you, the parent, have been watching and you know what the potential triggers are, you can make a plan, you can outline expectations. But like, I love that you say, instead of like, we're going home if you don't follow the rules, we're just going to take a break and we're going to go outside. You know, that's a compassionate way to do it that honors that maybe it wasn't necessarily a choice, but seeing they clearly need a break from the environment, right? I love that you're picking up on a couple of things there. I like to believe that what you're doing on the front end Mm -hmm. is, in a sense, planting a seed in the child's head. Definitely. You know, when you sit down and talk in a somewhat objective, calm way, so strike while the iron is cold, not while the iron is hot. So while before we go to the party, let's the last time we went and then have that discussion, very brief, and then by letting the child know it's not going to happen that way today. Kids mm-hmm. don't really. <laughs> How do you know that? Yeah, I mean, they might be thinking that. I don't know. If, you know, it gets out of hand, this is what we're going to do. And I do agree with you that it allows for, you know, timeouts. Okay. I just think it's overused. Yeah. To me, it's not even a timeout. It's kind of like, all right, we're going to go out to the car. We, you know, it's a cousin's birthday party and it's getting too aggressive or whatever. So we're going to just sit in the car for five minutes. And from my point of view, Let's say the child's having a meltdown in the car. I don't want to be in the car. What's your job as a parent? From my end, the job would be nothing. Mm -hmm. Just sit there. Mm -hmm. Just read your book. Do nothing. And in five minutes, 
five minutes, are you ready to go back in? Again, choice. Mm -hmm. Are you ready to go back in? Yes. Okay. How do we want it to go? Well, you don't want me to push. No, no, no. Right. Brilliant. I like joking with you. Brilliant. Yeah. So I'm going to watch. Let the child know that you're you're not just talking to your sister or something like that and having a drink. You're watching the kid. Yeah. You know, I'm going to watch. And what's going to happen if you start pushing again? Well, we go out to the car. Right. But then the next time you go to a birthday party, I would predict, remember how it went the last time? Mm -hmm. You know, what are we going to do? The kid will start to really associate mom, dad, taking an effective action, giving me choice and recognizing that my choice has positive consequences built in mm -hmm. or negative ones built in. that You don't have to create all kinds of consequences for the parent. You know, I'm going to give you all this stuff and tokens and. Uh, am I talking too much? No, no, of course not. <laughs> Sometimes they got talking. Too We're much. learning from you. <laughs> I would add, you know, when we go outside, there are things that we can do that can help a kid get regulated too. So instead of maybe sitting in the car, we walk a loop around the parking lot or, yeah. you know, any sort of regulation activity that would help to calm their nervous system too, so that they can more successfully go back in. Totally agree. Totally agree. And that's, but that's also why I said in the beginning, it's kid by kid, family by family. Mm -hmm. You know, if it's a more manipulative type of child who's really trying to push and they can control themselves but are choosing poorly, mm -hmm. then the car may be a boring place to sit. On the other hand, if it's a child who does get overstimulated, like you're suggesting, too much sensory overload and they, you know, truly can't handle it, then taking a little walk around would be a, a nice way of settling it all down. Yeah, yeah. And I think, too, reflecting later, mm -hmm. if things went badly, you don't reflect then, you don't try to teach then. You know, I love that you said you just go out there and you sit, because what we tend to do is want to fix it again. And so, you know, I call myself the great rationalizer. All I did was try to <laughs> rationalize my kid out of every behavior, right? I just, I thought if I could just talk him down, right? And it never, ever, ever, ever worked. And it was because he was already overwhelmed. He wasn't processing. Yeah, I, was, I was just yeah, adding to that. Yeah. And so we teach parents all the time in our behavior program, stop talking. Just stop talking because it's not helping. Zip it and clip it. Mm -hmm. not, that's another mantra. Zip it and clip it. Yeah, I'm trying to practice that. I'm now in the zone of being a grandparent, you know, mm. and my kids don't want that, my advice. You <laughs> right. might want my advice, but they don't want it, you know. So my mantra to myself is zip it and clip it. But I think as a parent, sometimes just stop talking so much. I agree, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. because they don't want to hear it, but they have choice. And I go back to that, you know, but you're triggering a lot of thoughts, <laughs> you know, with the uh, debriefing. I also like, especially if the kid's young, let's say six, seven, eight, nine, you know, sort of tuck in time because mm -hmm. that cements a little bit. I'm not big on overly, you know, reinforcing. You've got to give all this reward stuff. You know what? I'm really proud of you with the birthday party today. I know it's getting a little out of hand and you totally followed the rules. And I'm really proud of you. I saw what you did and it was great. Mm -hmm. And I hope we do that the next time. Ah, you know, and if it didn't go so well, it's like, well, you know, next time we'll try to follow the rules better. Yeah. Or how do you want it to go different next time yeah, you go to a birthday go? party, right? Giving them that control again, because that gives us insight. This came up recently where mom had rented 
you know, one of those bouncy gym places, you know, it's expensive mm-hmm. to rent one of those things. Yeah. And it wasn't for even for a birthday. It was just for a treat for her child mm. and like eight, nine, ten, whatever that age range. And in about five minutes, the kid got really moody. Like, I don't want to do this. I'm, I'm bored. Mm. Mom's like, starts getting upset. I bought it. I spent all this money. Da, da, ba, ba, ba. And, you know, again, giving the kid choice. Listen, Nate, here's the deal. You can choose to be miserable (laughs) or you can choose to have fun because what the kid wanted, frankly, was to go back and play on his video games. Mm -hmm. He wanted to go on a screen somewhere and he was bored because he didn't have his phone or something. But if you're choosing to be miserable, your friends can have fun, but you're going to be sitting here, not a punishment and no screen, no phone, no nothing. And that's your choice. Again, that fixed it pretty quickly. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. We talk so much here on the podcast about preferred tasks and non-preferred tasks (laughs) and how hard it is for a neurodivergent brain to really click on to a non-preferred task. You know, like, for example, the ADHD brain, it's motivated by interest and urgency, but not really by importance, you know? And so (laughs) we are like, well, because you got to do homework, that's why, right? But a kid whose brain doesn't just go, okay, it's important, I got to get in here, it's much harder to do that. And so there's, you know, there's neurological reasons for a lot of our kids for things like that, too. Right. But they do need to be encouraged still yeah. to do things that are not preferred well, because that's life. Well, as another mantra, well, you know, it's called homework. It's not called home fun. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then for kids who have learning struggles, that's a whole nother Well, that's the shutdown learner game. stuff. Mm-hmm. Of course, they're not going to engage if it's that hard, mm-hmm. right? If it's so non-preferred and difficult, and I might fail at it, why am I going to try? Like, it's so hard to make yourself try. You know, I have a parade of kids that I evaluate who just, you know, frequently the parent or a parent or the teacher will be ascribing ADHD hypotheses or he's just not motivated. And I'm like, this kid has severe reading problems, severe, you know, Mm -hmm. shutdown learner style, can't read very well, significant dyslexia. That would undercut any of our motivation. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have to really, as a parent, understand the zone that they're in, in terms of what they can and can't handle. Yeah. There's always a reason. You know, we talk about, oh, my kid is not motivated. They don't care about doing well in school. Well, why? There's something there we could help with. You had said something earlier which triggered me, and I think it was when you sort of talked about your own struggles, so to speak, when your child was younger. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think, again, I, I, know, I know it can't broad stroke it too much, but the moms, it's been my impression, tend to take it on the, you know, the burden of, oh, you know, I, it's my fault. You know, I'm doing something I, I should have been doing something differently or not enough of or whatever. And the focus of these books, including Shutdown Learner and Beyond the Power Stroke, is on the parent, but not because it's your fault, mm-hmm. but it's because you're the one who can reflect. Yes. You know, you're like we're doing right now. We're both reflecting and going, hmm, okay, that might be an interesting approach, giving the child choice. Or, yes, I can back off during homework. The child is generally not in a position to go, oh, let me reflect on what you're saying, mom. I. they don't tend to be that introspective my impression so they haven't had practice yet they don't have the skill yet right but we we do in theory we do i you know (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. I'm still working at it myself. <laughs> We're all a work in progress. Yeah, we all have <laughs> strengths and weaknesses, right? right? right. <laughs> so, yeah, I really think that, you know, understanding what is going on. That's our job. And, you know, we're talking about kids with these kind of struggles, complex kids. It's like 90% us. We are the ones who need to do the work. We are the ones who need to shift our perspective, dig deeper under behavior, you know, have a different approach because our kid is different, right? Or our student is different. And so it's a lot about the work that we need to do as the adult, because we're not changing kids. We're just helping them build skills, find their path, their journey, their version of success, right? And it has to resonate with you. You know, the advice you're getting has to resonate with you. One of my mm-hmm. favorite questions, which I think you'll appreciate, and I have found the answer to this 99, I'm not just saying it to be flattering to parents, but I always ask, what's your mom gut? Most of the time, the mom is one coming and bringing the child in to see me, at least initially. I'm not saying the dad's uninvolved if there is, but what's your mom gut? What do you think is going on? And I have found the answer to that almost always to be, you know, in sync with what I find. Mm. You know, so if the mom says, you know what, I think he has a reading problem. I don't know what you want to call it. That's his primary issue. And he's a little difficult around the edges. And then I tune all that out, do my assessment. And most of I say 99% of the time, it's, it's that every once in a while I'll get him, you know, where the mom gut is like, well, mom, he's really good shape and he has no issues, you know, that kind of thing. But Or there's something much mm-hmm. bigger going on. But I think it's important as a parent to remember that, to trust your gut and make sure the advice resonates with you, that it's advice that you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've given us so much wisdom here. And I hope that everyone will connect with you and learn more, pick up your books. Thank you. And we have links to all of that in the show notes. Great, thank you. So for everyone listening, you can go to parentingadhdandautism.com slash 253 for episode 253. And I really hope that you will sign up for the emails. I get one every, I think it's Friday from you. Typically Fridays. And they're always useful. I love them. Really honest, simple insights. Well, thank you. Is how I feel. And I I really enjoy it. And I have for years. And I hope everybody will do that. Well, thank you. We appreciate your having me on. We could have continued for hours just kicking this around, you know? (laughs) Just about every podcast interview I do. Oh, I thought it was just me. We could talk all day. All right. right. (laughs) It's because we're so (laughs) passionate about what we do, right? And about kids and helping kids. And it's complex. There's a lot to talk about. But yeah. That's correct. Yeah, it's so fun to meet like-minded people and doing similar work. And it's so great to be a helper in the world. Well, thanks, Penny. Really appreciate it. And I appreciate that my dog did not bark. Only once, and that's so she listened well. Yes. Yours too. Love that. Mine too. Yeah. <laughs> they were good. Well, I appreciate you. And Thanks, with that, we'll end the episode. I'll see everybody on the next show. Thanks for joining me on the Beautifully Complex podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share. And don't forget to check out my online courses and parent coaching at parentingadhdandautism.com and at thebehaviorrevolution.com.